0: Liberty down please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get them off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of will come and it'll go The government knows it's don't get treated like a hoe
1: Today I head on the legends, Kerry Wedler and David Gornoski If you aren't familiar with them, get familiar These are really deep thinkers that I absolutely love talking to I'm so thrilled I got to have them both on simultaneously To dig into the two kind of different paths The more religious path and then the more spiritual one And I think that you find many similarities between the two And this made for a tremendous conversation So I think you guys will enjoy it a lot If you aren't familiar with either of them I will leave uh, their information in the description so you can follow them. David is a uh, talk radio host in Florida, and Carrie is one of the preeminent YouTube sensations. And I think that they're both well worth your time. Today's episode is also brought to you by another show that's worth your time, and that's my buddy Johnny Profita over at Peddling Fiction Podcast. He is the voice and soul of so called fiction, a lying politician's worst nightmare, a true Rothbardian radical like myself, the destroyer of Keynesian economic fallacies, an inoculator of propaganda, and a breaker of ideological chains, just like we do here at Liberty Lockdown. Free your mind from state control by checking out my buddy, Johnny Profita, over at Peddling Fiction Podcast. Just go to your podcatcher, type in Peddling Fiction Podcast, smash subscribe. And let me know what you think about it I think if you love this show, you will love his as well At the end of this episode, there will be a two minute clip from his show So hang on towards the end and you'll get to check it out And see if it's something that's up your alley Let's get into the show Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown I have another group of guests today And uh, this is a combination I have been looking forward to deeply Let's take a moment of silence, a deep inhale <sighs> David Gronoski and Carrie Wedler are with me to talk about uh, the more spiritual side of our scene, I guess you could say. Welcome aboard, guys.
2: Thanks for Thank having you. me.
1: Absolutely. Um, so uh, the reason I was inspired to do this, uh, first off, I've talked to you both a few times now, and I find that you're probably two of the more well-rounded people that I've interacted with. And I I mean that as a compliment, uh, whether or not you want to accept it. And And I mean that because I feel as if there is a a missing factor in many libertarians lives um, or anarchists or whatever, or people that are just deeply involved in politics to put it bluntly um, where they, they get so tribalistic and so caught up in the anger towards their perceived political enemies that they end up in a position of uh, being kind of a one dimensional reactionary type person. And, I guess basically the the feeling I've been getting as of late, particularly with the Mises caucus kind of successfully taking over the Libertarian party is that the infighting is now beginning where people are turning against each other and they're like, Oh, you're not, you're not radical enough. And Oh, you're too, too much of a moderate or you're too radical. And it's just, uh, it's interesting to me how, how quickly that happens. And I've talked to David about this at length, so I'm sure he's not at all surprised to see this occurring. Um, so I'll start with Carrie. What, what do you see lacking in this space that you would like to, kind of shed some light on for people.
2: About to get tomatoes thrown at me. Um, So I've been in this community a while, and I did not come into it um, in a spiritual sense. I came into it purely politically. And what I found is, especially in all politics, really, but in libertarian circles, anarchist circles, there's such a focus on rationality and logic, which are incredibly important. I'm not here to downplay the importance of these very important qualities that we need to move the world forward and to advance liberty, but I think at the expense, or this comes at the expense of a lack of emotional awareness and consciousness, which we can get into how I think that relates to spirituality, but I think that we get so caught in our minds, which are very useful, that we just from our hearts. And I see this happening in politics across the spectrum. This is not limited to the liberty community or anywhere, but. I think if we were able to check in a bit more with our internal, our internal clocks, our compasses, our hearts, what we're feeling, a sense of embodiment, somatic sensing, we might be a little less reactive outwardly as we deal, whether with politics or in spreading the message of liberty more broadly.
1: David?
3: Well, first, I got to give a big shout out to my new campaign we've just launched. It's uh, called grayprivilege.com. That's grayprivilege.com. We're taking on the Pentagon for hiding for so long what they know about UFOs, and we want them to give a full accounting of how they have been systemically supporting gray supremacy. And by gray supremacy, I'm talking about the grays that people, the folks in UFOs that people experience encountering inside these UFOs, They are of gray skin color. And the Pentagon and our government appears to be doing all they can to prop up folks in UFOs at our expense. They're up there because we're down here. And so I've launched a campaign to end Gray Privilege. I want to have a congressional investigation. I want people to go to grayprivilege.com and let's have a full accounting. So it's not fully spiritual but it is anthropological, right? Because think about it for a second. They've announced they're going to have a report at the end of this month about UFOs. They've said, it's not our technology folks. It's not, it's not an attack. It's not something with a camera flare. They're saying these are real objects. They've got way too much data, way too many eyewitness reports. And they're saying, it's not our technology could be Russia or China course that's what the Pentagon's going to say but i think that's a i think we should call their bluff you know there's no way that russia or china had that technology in the 1950s and 60s when our air force pilots were saying they were seeing these things they didn't call them tic-tac shaped objects they called them lozenges flying lozenges right so china was dealing with famines back then they didn't have time to deal with flying lozenges and send them over to our space (laughs) so it's obvious that the pentagon needs to give a full accounting of how they've been systemically supporting gray privilege and grays have advantages that we don't have. I don't see any obese grays. Have you ever seen any grays that are (laughs) obese in the depictions of people's? And you say for a second, Oh, well, well, we can't accept those reports, but I think we should hashtag believe all humans. If you've been abducted by gray aliens, then we should believe your report. We should have no reason to dismiss it. And so I think that this is the this is the best use of critical theory we could ever have. The Pentagon's fully accepting critical theory as the standard of their teaching and their curriculum that they're teaching. Their new recruits have to read all these Foucault books and things like that. So let's use critical theory and understand how they've been supporting great privilege. So That's sounds what good. I want to just get off the bat. It's a big thing. It's the biggest story of our time. And the yep. Pentagon needs to give an account for what they're doing.
1: Well, if we have, if we have aliens about to invade them, we're definitely going to need to find some, uh, some spiritual salvation. It sounds like. So. Right.
3: So how did, so how does that tie back into spiritual thing? So the the issue that I see here is that I think what Carrie's saying is exactly right. We have a Cartesian model of liberty. I think blank, therefore I am a libertarian. But that's not accurate. That's not any. That doesn't. That doesn't account. That doesn't account for anything in the human experience. We don't think these axiomatic principles, and then eat a meal, right? We just go with what our gut tells us. Let's go have this, right? So nothing we really do, we do has this kind of binary ones and zero approach to doing things. But because we're uh, products of our environment, we, we adopt this Cartesian model. And I think we should have more of a Shakespearean model, to be or not to be, which is more of an embodied approach, right? Where we're not just saying, get the right intellectual Um, assent right and then you're good to go but rather your whole life should be fully kind of manifesting the same principles that you say you aspire to so when i see and i hear reports and i don't know enough about it to comment because i'm not in that party but when i hear reports about the libertarian party fighting over who's going to be the you know the who's going to take minutes at the local county level and they're fighting and they're taking act i don't know what's going on but it's like Blood vendettas over the most minuscule amount of power, that is an indication that we are our Cartesian approach to these things goes nowhere because if we don't have a, a spirit or whatever you want to call it uh, uh, that is that is fully uh, in alignment with what we say we believe nonviolent it's easy to say you're nonviolent and for non-aggression when you're throwing uh you know peanuts at people from the peanut gallery, and you, you don't have any reason to, to have that uh, ideology tested. Mm-hmm. But once you're in the, in the arena, then we see the appeal of power. We see the appeal of coercion. We see how seductive it is, right? And that's where it becomes challenging. I asked this of my uh, you know, libertarian friends. They, they're always against the Federal Reserve. I'm like, well, what happens if you were friends with somebody who just so happened to have the printing machine for the U.S. Treasury when they print new dollars? And what if they said, hey, you know, look, I work here. I'm the tech guy. You can have one of these machines. There's a few plates loaded still there. If you need to run it, I'm not going to say anything about it. You didn't see it here for me. You have one of these things. And so you put it in your basement, and you're a principled libertarian, you know. And one day, you know, you hear your friend's child's got a a huge medical issue, and they don't have enough money to get it taken care of properly. Now, do you go down the basement and do you print some of that money to get that problem taken care of? Because if you do, hello, Alan Greenspan, you know, you're <laughs> back in the same problem that we're dealing with. You see? So so these questions about, well, I would never do that because I intellectually think the proper thing. I don't know. I don't know. Life kind of hits you hard, doesn't it? And it changes mm-hmm. it once you're in a different context. And And
1: what's interesting about that analogy or thought experiment is that, I would actually think less of you if you didn't go use that printing press to save that child, you know, um, even though it is the unlibertarian thing to do, I guess. Um, but it, it, you know, circumstances kind of present moral quandaries and um, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of leniency for uh, gray area thought when it comes to libertarian space. It's like, are you the most principled or, are you a fraud? <laughs> you know, like, that <laughs> is it. Those are the, those are the two um, polarities, I guess, in assessing people in this space. And um, I think the thing that we lack most personally is that, well, first off, I think that we lack a, a foundational passion and, and a belief in something higher. And I've brought this up a ton of times, but I, I really believe that if, you, like, if you're on this path and you see the tyrannical nature of government, and you realize that by speaking out, you are, you are risking your life. And I believe that that's the case. Believe it or not, I do. Um, I think that that's the case, that all of us are risking our lives to actually just talk about the things that we believe in in this time. Now, it's not that severe yet, but I believe over the next decade, it could get very severe. So I guess my question is, what is it that, that allows both of you to have the courage to do what we do? And will it, can, we, can we embed that in our listenership? You know, Can we actually spread a belief in something higher where self-sacrifice may be necessary just to have a chance at greater liberty in our lifetimes? And I'm not saying it's, it's obligatory. I'm not saying it's necessarily going to happen. Certainly, I hope it's not. I don't have a death wish. However, I do think that if you aren't willing to risk something, our odds of prevailing against the greatest state in human history are very low. Uh, What do you think about that, Carrie?
2: (laughs) I mean, I I absolutely agree. Are you asking about the question of what keeps me motivated?
1: Yeah, all all the way around. Any thoughts you have on
2: it? Yeah. um, For me, it started as just a sense of, oh, my God, I'm taking in all this information about how corrupt and violent and abusive and illegitimate the state is. I can't not say something. If I have the ability to say something, I have to. And for me, that comes in the form of videos. That doesn't mean it's going to be the same for everybody else. Like, that doesn't mean you have to start a podcast or you have to start making YouTube videos because you care. There are plenty, millions, countless ways to to find ways to help and to advance the cause of liberty. But I think the biggest thing for me, the reason I haven't burned out, I take a lot of breaks, but the reason I haven't fully quit over the years, I'm coming up on almost 10 years since I made my first video. It's been, okay, to start, let's say, first, I freed my mind, right? Like, you have to, free the way you think in order to care about liberty whatsoever, let alone advance the cause. But I think the big shift for me was recognizing that I had to free my heart as well. And I'm gonna keep coming back to this the entire interview as much as I can, as long as it's appropriate. Because I found that when I was making videos, if you go watch my earlier videos, I'm so angry. Like I just, I was watching a video from three and a half years ago, three years ago, because I was like, should I repost this on Twitter? I was updating Twitter with the videos I made when I wasn't on Twitter. And I was watching this video and I made myself uncomfortable with how angry I sounded. I was like, Oh girl, you're really like, you're, you're triggered right now. Do I agree with what I said? Of course, but I could hear in my tone of voice that I was so reactive as much as I agreed intellectually with what I had to say and with the message, I was so caught in reactivity. And when I think back on those times and when I catch myself now, because it's not like all of a sudden you free your heart and then you never suffer again. You're never caught. You're never reactive. You never get triggered by anything. But what I found is that putting in the work to create a container for everything that comes up in our hearts. You can say you're the most logical person in the world. That's fine. I believe you. I also think you probably have some feelings under there. You know, no, I don't care how smart and how rational you are. You're human. You have a heart. You have feelings. And when I started checking into that, when I started feeling like, oh, I'm feeling really feeling really angry right now. Oh, my heart is like lurching forward, it's gripping. When I started becoming, when I when I got in tune with this part of my being, I stopped being so enslaved to the feelings themselves. It's like, oh, I have to make a video right now and it's gonna come off, I'm gonna watch it for years later, I'm gonna be like, oh yikes, yeah, Carrie, like maybe you should have meditated before you did that. But point being, I think to keep it sustainable, you have to go inward and you have to take care of yourself, which to me that there's no inconsistency with libertarianism and freedom there. Ultimately, your happiness, your freedom, whether it's externally or internally, that's on you. It's your responsibility. And it is possible to get there because I can tell you, I both, you watched some of my earlier videos. I was not in a good place when I was making those videos. However much people love those videos, I personally was miserable. Now I'm much happier and I take a lot more joy in making these videos and in spreading these messages because I've taken it to a deeper level of my understanding of freedom. Maybe this doesn't resonate with you and that's fine, but maybe it does and you're not alone.
1: Well, I think that the the balance I always struggle with is delivering the same level of passion I actually feel, but not coming off angry, you know, because like often (laughs) it is, it is very tough. It's a tough balance. And, And I certainly am not the best at it. Even though I do have a meditation practice, I will still get on the mic and I will flip out sometimes. David, you have a really great cadence and and an ability to relay in a very passionate or a compassionate tone, whether or not you're upset. I can't tell sometimes, but um, what's your, what's your secret with it? And is that, is that something that you focus on or is it just your natural demeanor?
3: I don't know. You know, it's funny because this last year has made me, you know, have, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because there's, you know, I read some of these reports of people that get, you know, they, they die from COVID and, and, you know, I just did an interview with someone describing how they, how people die from COVID and it's like, it's like a shrinking straw of oxygen and you're suffocating and all this stuff. And then you hear this arrogant fascist companies like YouTube and Facebook. And I do use that word. Not, I don't use that flippantly. No. You know that they want to silence people, like Brett Weinstein for talking about Ivermectin, you know, or <laughs> I said, my, I I I said today, I'm going to, I think I'm going to change my radio show name to Ivermectin's choice. You know, we're just going <laughs> to shove it in these fascist face because they don't want to, you know, because people don't need to be dying for their, their arrogance. You know, they've made a lot of money. Maybe I'm becoming a little left wing in my attitude, but I'm just getting tired of, when you visualize it, right? So, so you're right. It, it, it's a hard, it's a hard balance, right? Because if you really let yourself empathically feel the reality of what you're talking about, I think Carrie, you know, you've done that with the war stuff, right? You've talked about war and, 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 and we can become numb to it, right? Uh, like, uh, like the medicine man or something it's like you, you, you take on the, the energies, you look at that dark stuff, and, it, and it, it can affect you. It's, it's hard to not become numbed out to that and calloused in your own heart. When you look at evil, does it draw you into it? I don't know. It's a hard thing. And, and I, I guess the way I try to balance it is try to always, we will look at the, you know, my show's very simple formula, problem, solution. The problem is politics. The problem is the state and all the group think that it, it's based in. And sacrificial violence is how I describe the heart of the state. The solution is, is finding those Galileos who can do great things uh, that can alleviate suffering with technology and innovation and breakthroughs. And not just the Galileos, there's that. And then there's the art telling the story of victims, empathizing with victims and just, you know, But it, it, it is very hard to not be cynical because you think to myself, goodness, people suffer because of some arrogant, idiotic, you know, government that doesn't want to allow people to know that you, you, you only have one option to take this, to to, to deal with this uh, disease. One option. And it's these three companies, same product, three companies, you get one option. And it's like, how dare you? These are human beings. If you're not mad, maybe there's something wrong or you don't know, you don't understand it once you right. know. And so I, I'm kind of doing the opposite of Carrie because, you know, if you look at some of my older videos I was all you know like Obama oh today we're going. I was trying to talk like a president you know in my younger videos and now I get I mean I smack I I I do the whole the the fascist thing where you you hit the desk sometimes on my radio show and I'm like I don't know if this is coming off right but it makes me mad when I read because I just because the way I do my show is I don't prepare ahead of time at all so it's jazz I just turn on the news aggregators right as I go live and I just read stories so I'm getting the take as it's happening, and that has its own downfalls because you can get really mad reading that stuff, you know. So,
2: well, and that's that's the thing too. Just to clarify, is I don't think anger is bad at all. I think yeah. I agree with you. If you're not angry, you're missing something, right? Like yeah. that's a very healthy response to what's going on in the world, often yeah. to what's going on in our lives. So it's not so much like I'm never going to be angry. It's the anger is bad. Push it down. Get rid of it. Transmute it into love and light, and pretend that you know everything's great in the world. And no, of course not. But my struggle and my challenge, my evolution has been taking that anger. And it's not even so much about messaging to other people. It's about my own internal well-being. Like, okay, right. can is there a way to cultivate a container within me so I can feel the anger without letting it run the show? I think right. that's the piece that I did not clarify earlier is like, it's not getting rid of any feeling whatever it is whether it's fear anger love happiness nothing it's not about controlling it getting rid of it pretending it's not there it's about allowing it to be there and paradoxically i found in my practice with this that that then lessens the severity of it like instead of pushing it away and being like oh i can't be i can't be mad it's bad to be that No, but I'm going to be more angry. Like if I shame my own reaction to something, then I'm going to end up suffering even more. So my practice has really been about finding a way to let it all be there. And through that, finding more of my own inner wisdom and autonomy, really, because I'm not just bouncing from feeling to feeling to feeling and trying to deal with it as it comes up and get rid of it. It's just, oh, okay, you're here. You, the anger is here. All right. It can be here. And I don't have to punch a wall. I mean, if you want to punch a wall, fine, get it out. I'm not, that's not, I'm not here to say any feeling is bad. Just to say that I think it's possible to put a little bit of space between our reactions to what we're feeling and what we're feeling. So there, it doesn't always have to be blame and suffering and anger. It can be, I feel these things, they're allowed to be here. And I don't have to then push that back out into the world myself, because it's going to create more suffering for me and probably other people if I do it long enough.
1: And I think if the if the anger is coming from an empathic place where you're like you're looking at all of these terrible things in the world, there's something beautiful to that like I, because Absolutely. you are you are showing genuine concern. Moreover, you are feeling deeply, you know, mm-hmm. and people like to see that it's it's what you don't see on mainstream news. It's like it's like here's a story about a puppy, and then we have twelve shot in Chicago and then you're back to the weather and it's like there's no real emotion going on there. so I think that that's that's what people actually like about what we do. Um, But I think that it is important to have some level of compartmentalization is like, that's how I would phrase it. Um, You could have more zend out words for it, but uh, it's basically the same thing is like, you're, you're putting, you're, you're having a compartment for this portion of yourself and, and having an ability to, to detach and kind of go into a happy place, even though, even though you're aware of all of the evils of the world you still have to have a capacity to focus on so much of the positive. And there is so much positive in life, in this life, even in this tyranny that we exist under. It's so beautiful to be here and to be alive. And I think I don't say that enough. I think people don't feel that enough or think that enough or talk about that enough. It's like we live in arguably the greatest time in human history. Now, that doesn't diminish any of the problems, um, but it's important to like keep that thought in mind as you point out, all of the areas that we need to improve upon, and uh, I like that that David brought up you know the fact that we need to have art. I actually view both of you as artists uh, I don't know whether or not you would, but um, I think that particularly the way David speaks it's just very artful I, I that's the only way I can describe it and then Carrie obviously, with your productions you're you're it's very it's very uh, um it just drives emotion in the viewer, and then you're also. Um, I mean, both, both positively and negatively, you know, this is, this is part of what we're doing because we are talking about hard stuff. Do you guys consider yourself artists or is this just a, an, an outlet, a, a pastime? What do you guys think? You first, David.
3: (laughs) Greatprivilege.com says it all, doesn't it? (laughs) It's a real domain. Go and check it out. It's just a
1: Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at the Daily Job Hunt. I've been telling you about them for a couple months now. I know that a bunch of you have already signed up, but if you are sitting here listening to this saying, how can I better myself, Clint? Stop asking me and do this. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. It is a once daily newsletter for free that hits your inbox every morning, gives you a little bit of information, inspiration on how to become a better Job applicant or to start your own business If you're the more entrepreneurial type If you are struggling to find A job in this market Particularly the job of your dreams Which is what we're, we're seeking here Go to crash.co Backslash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt And I promise that'll be A great starting point for you to find That job of your dreams Or start the business of your dreams Let's get back in the show
3: yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think, I think life, you know, performance art is the best kind of art, right. You know, I think Jesus was a performance artist, right. I think he, I mean, can you imagine that? You know, think about this for a second. You want to, you want to go down the rabbit trail. So think about that. You got the whole world. Now you get, don't get me go, Carrie, go ahead. I'm, don't get me started. on this. No, I love it when you go <laughs> no, down I, the rabbit. No, I, the I specifically wanted to get you
2: started. <laughs> right,
3: but but the, the whole world is wrapped up in this idea that like, Human sacrifice is the machine that makes the sun come up, and then a guy shows up in history. Forget about the spiritual stuff for a second. Just a guy shows up in history, and he's like, "I'm going to play the role of a human sacrificial victim, but I'm going to do it so well that it's going to flip that narrative, and it's going to." And the the gospel text says that the the temple veil is torn, and nobody's home at the moment that Jesus dies on the cross. So whether that literally happened or not, but that's the art of the text. It's like the, the veil is torn, because remember the temple and the state are one and the same at this point, right? And they still are the same, but we just don't think of them the same way, but it's torn. And do you see anybody there? No, there's nobody home. And that's the moment when he dies. And it's just, and just from a, from a narrative standpoint, if we appreciate good literature, I mean, but this is a man that has a lot of evidence, was a historical figure. So he's, he's conscientiously, intentionally performing the role of the victim of human sacrifice in the midst of a worldwide uniformity of this sacrificial mechanism being the thing that binds people together. And he has the foresight. So if he's just a man, it's the greatest miracle in the world that someone could have that kind of meta foresight to, to perform the role in such a self-sacrificing way, to perform the role of the heart. Of, of the scapegoat mechanism, which is the heart of the state, and to prevent it, and to allow us to see it in such a way that once we see it, we can no longer unsee it. And that it's like this viral thing that starts to mess up the mechanisms of culture ever since in a slow way. Obviously, the church was burning witches. That's but that point, it's not like you, it's again, it's not an intellectual sin. Okay, I got it. You know, we're good to go. Flying cars tomorrow, Jesus. Thanks. We figured it out. It wasn't like that. You know, it's a slow, you know, humans are extremely slow to wake up to what they're doing, but they can't sacrifice anymore and have cohesion. And that was the whole purpose of sacrifice is to maintain that unity. The unity is breaking, and we're in the midst of this chaos happening because of that. We're in the midst of somebody stepping into history and with their own action performing art that we are still haunted by 2,000 years later. That's the power of performance art. All of our lives are meant to be acts of performance art in everything we do, whether anybody sees it or not. That's my, that's my pitch for the value of performance art. <laughs>
1: that was a heck of a pitch. <laughs> what do you think, Gary? <laughs>
2: No, I, I totally agree. I don't, I'm not super familiar with Jesus, so I can't offer anything of value in response to that, except that I think so, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Jesus was about like love and compassion. So whatever he did, it came from that place. It didn't come from fear. Uh, as far as my own videos, I guess. I guess I wouldn't call myself an artist but I do find like when I'm making a video and I'm really into it I'm in that creative flow you know like it, it's not simply coming from my head it's coming from my heart because I really care and I think just to kind of pivot a little I think that so much of the suffering in the world comes from a place of fear all of these aggressive emotions they stem from fear I don't think Elizabeth Kübler-Ross was the first person to make this categorization but she basically said there's two different there's two basic human emotions, there's fear and there's love and every, all the other ones stem from there. So if you're very angry about something, there's probably a more vulnerable and a more adjacent emotion to fear than you probably want to recognize. But if yeah. you look at the way the world is functioning, so much of it is based on fear. The reason the state has so much power, the reason it exists, it's cultivated upon fear. It's not on love. Obviously the mechanism of the state is violence. That's not compassionate. That's not loving. So one, it's a matter of the status, the normies being caught in fear. But I also see it in our community because, again, as much as the anger is justified, as much as the fear is justified, I feel like a lot of the conversation comes from this very reactive place because, uh, yeah, it is very scary. It's scary to see the government growing, to see so many people advocating that it grow, who don't question narratives, who aren't interested at all because they're so caught in their fear. So my mission for myself and as I talk about it on these podcasts is to try to to move our our internal barometer or what's the word baseline more toward love than from fear
1: what what i find interesting about this conversation is that just give you some of insight into me and how i've been functioning over the past year is that i started off in fear and then i switched to anger and then I mean, obviously, there's there's an ebb and flow where I go through all of these emotions probably on a daily basis, but I find myself more in the love space as of late. And I don't know if that's just because I have no idea why. Um, but what what I find interesting about it, what I find kind of scary about it is that because I am coming from a place of love and a willingness to to sacrifice myself for this cause, which is a really horrifying feeling, I've never... It's almost making me well up just thinking about it. Um, it's just I feel this stuff so deeply. You know, it's it really. It's all encompassing. I don't know. I got to I got to take a minute. So
2: <laughs> you're coming from a place of love with that. Yeah. That's why you're welling up or tearing up, whatever this phrase is.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's just it's just so wild to me because I, you know, I went from, you know, successful entrepreneur to just Mike Screamer to like, I would do anything for the people that value freedom that exist on this planet. And
3: would you do anything for the people that don't value freedom? That's most of the people on the planet.
1: Well, that's, that's where I lack the love, uh, unfortunately. Um, but I, I don't, I don't lack compassion. I just wouldn't die for them. I think that's, that's the difference. Like,
2: that's
1: fair. <laughs> you know, like I, I would, I would actually die for the people that, that would, um, would stand beside me, you know, in in this fight. In some and, sense,
3: you'd be still dying for both of them in some way, right? I
1: guess that's how I feel it. Or that's how I view it. Yeah. Um, But if if it was like, will you, you know, say John McCain was still alive, and someone was like, will you give your life for John McCain? I'd be like, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, so there is a line here somewhere. Uh, but it's just, it's just, uh, it's an interesting development in me because I, I, I think,
3: what made you know, feel recently that you were gonna that we might have to lay your life down for this cause. What was it? Is it COVID stuff or something or?
1: Oh, no, no. It's, it's uh, actually when I saw uh, my buddy, my buddy Magnus get raided by the feds and, Mm. and that was just yesterday. And I was like, he's one of the sweetest people I've ever met. I mean, he's just such a good person and, but he's a member of the Boogaloo movement and you know, I'm not, so I don't think I'm in any level of jeopardy that he's in. Um, But just to see you know, the the risk that I mean, we're walking a line here. I mean, whether you want to admit it or not, like if you go down this path um, and if the state continues in this trajectory, there's a decent chance that you will run afoul of their ever increasing dictatorial powers at some point, And you may be sacrificed to the state. I know you talk a lot about sacrifice, David, so. Maybe
3: maybe if you do a good job When you walk into the prison You'll get a standing ovation Like in the 80s movies huh?
0: Right Well (laughs) The slow clap The slow clap as I walk in Waiting
3: for you There you go Yeah Now if they kill you That's a little bit different story Right
1: (laughs) Well yeah And I mean that's That's the other thing Is you know like I'm not I'm not really I'm not really Like it's not like I want to So I don't want to I don't want to come across like that Like I don't desire To martyr myself For this cause I just feel these things so deeply that I'm willing to, and and I think that that's that's an evolution in my being that I didn't once have. Um, I used to be very afraid of death, so there's there's some shift that's happened in me. Where do you guys fall on this? I, I'll stop talking for a while. Carrie, <laughs>
2: um, well, that, that that's a lot to unpack. Uh, let's see. What yes, comes it is. To mind. Sorry,
1: <laughs> I just dumped that um, all on you.
2: No, it sounds like you're coming from a place of love. It comes down, you know, as much as it is scary, the motivation for doing it is selflessness, really, because you're caring about other people and their freedom. And inherent to that is compassion, because you're able to empathize with other people. You're able to see what they're suffering with, usually as a result of the state, you know? But I think for me, as far as, uh, no, I'm not going to die for John McCain. I'm good. Um, (laughs) I'm not... the biggest shift, to, shift for me came actually through a Larkin Rose seminar. It's called Candles in the Dark. I think he offers it online now. I did it in person several years ago, but because I, I have struggled with just feeling so hateful and judgmental towards status. You know, like the people who would use government to control me, to hurt other people who don't see their delusions, who don't see their hypocrisy, like I could go on, and on and on and on and on and on and on. But the big shift for me came when Larkin explained it is like they're victims of indoctrination you know, and it's, yeah, you can hate them. Is that going to serve the cause of liberty? Probably not. It feels really good to hate them. Don't get me wrong until it doesn't, you know, until you're in such a state of anger all the time that you're just miserable inside. Like it doesn't, if you ask an angry person, like, Hey, do you like being angry? They're probably not going to say yes. Someone who struggles with real anger problems, they're you're like, no, I don't want to feel this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, point being that it, it really, it softened my approach. It didn't soften how I how I deliver the message, but at least internally for me again, which is I'm looking for total freedom and total peace externally and internally. And I found that when I was able to see literally billions of people, not as malicious enemies, but as victims of the state that I'm trying to fight against that really shifted my own ability to find peace with it. Because if you're just looking out at the world all the time, like, Oh my God, these people are voting for that. And they're voting for that. And these cops are doing this and DHS is doing that. And the Pentagon's doing this like, yes. Of course, you're justified in being angry. But again, it doesn't change the fact that they're doing what they're doing or they believe what they believe. And it just, you suffer more. Uh, I, I have a lot of experience with reactivity. And personally, I can confirm for me, maybe this isn't true for you, but I'm a lot happier when I'm not sitting around blaming people and being resentful. It doesn't mean I don't speak out, but for my own internal peace, on my own personal journey toward liberty, this has been really integral.
1: David, do you have
3: anything to add there? Yeah, and uh, you know, you can look at see again. I I think everything we deal with is all about finding role models to imitate. And again, that's an affront to a lot of the libertarian mentality of rugged individuals. But I believe we're interdividual. We're shaped by the desires of those around us. And you know, so so it's it's not a matter of who you will imitate. I mean, it's not a matter of whether you will imitate. It's a matter of who you will imitate, right? So, uh, and that's something that we don't we don't take enough. Uh, self-reflection about you know that so much of our self is a construct of, of of the desires and the passions and the attitudes and the way we handle conflict. All those are are modeled for us by people all all around us, including our parents and our friends and our mentors and peers and people we see on TV, and they all have their hooks in us, you know, and they kind of pull us this way and that way, and that whole amalgamation of desires that we. Uh, pick up from everybody around us subconsciously or consciously is what we construct as the narrative that we call ourself, right? Ourself is this construct of all these narratives that we consciously are aware of or are unconsciously uh, dealing with and, and pulling into. So the way we deal with pain, the way we deal with suffering and conflict, and, and it, it's a good attitude to have to say I, I, these folks are, are victims, and at the same time, it's a paradox. They're victims and they're victimizers. We're all human beings. We we all are a part of oppression, and we all uh, engage in oppressing others in different ways. And um, and being able to see, like I've said to you before, Cliff. You know, looking at Hillary Clinton. You know, as a child, she was abused by her parents. What does that do to create the situation that she's in? What about little Tony Fauci? What was he like as a kid? What happened to this fella? You know, why did he why did he get to a point where you know? He says i am science if you challenge me and, and and where does he get this hubris of of funding a a dentist level security lab at the wuhan institute of virology uh and then three million people die and millions more die from the stupid lockdowns that he promoted it's like good lord but at the, and, and the end of the day he was a kid at one point he was an innocent kid he wanted to be a scientist or whatever the heck he wanted to be at some point something happens and people choose into this dark path and they don't even know they're in darkness and that's why Jesus says, forgive them, father, for they don't know what they're doing. I'm not saying that to preach. I'm t- telling you that a guy who's got billions of followers, 2000 years after his death, should probably be someone we look to when we're talking about how to mentally prepare for dealing with tyrants. I mean, how did he deal with tyrants? What did he do? You know, How did he deal with it? He said, when, when they had him cruise, you know, you were saying you don't want to deal die for John McCain. I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, he had people that hated him for no reason. And, and they had him, you know, tortured. And they were throwing, they were whipping him with the cat of nine tails, which rips the flesh when it comes off the back all the way down. And they're doing that to the guy. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's not saying that like a Hallmark card, like, oh, isn't that so sweet? He's saying an anthropological pronouncement about the human condition. Okay, And that's what we have to have that, that perception of when we're dealing with people who keep doing the same stupid thing over and over and over again, is to recognize they're not that far away from me. Um, They are are possessed by group thing. The only way they can break out of it is for role models to come into their life and kind of break the frequency. So when Jesus is dealing with people throwing stones, because let's take the war on drugs, that's a classic libertarian thing, and, and you deal with conservatives. And I keep telling them, guys, don't you realize... Like the power to incarcerate you for this, that, and the, and the other that's happened with COVID happens when you give the moral authority to the state to cage you for what you put in your body for a drug. So you've already seen the once you say the state has the ability to, to put you in a cage for one nonviolent action, you've seated the moral principle for the whole thing that they're now running the table on for you about. You know, they're, they're throwing you away for everything. But I, I get so frustrated. Why can't you get that? But at the same time, you know, they haven't seen enough role models to exemplify how that actually looks. So how can you how can you blame them? They don't have, you know, people who are, who are just imitating who we see. And there's not a lot of folks imitating that full, robust picture of nonviolent dealing with problems in all of their forms. You know, we right. we, we we quarantine and isolate and categorize all these topics and we don't bring them together holistically. You know, it's Ron Paul used to say it a different way. He used to say, you know, we've separated liberty into pieces and the left gets some of the liberty, right. And the right gets some of the liberty, right. We need to bring it back together. And I agree with that, but I'm saying more from a cultural framework, you know, not just the applications of policies, but also how we get to, you know, like getting to that attitude where we can say, look, if it's not okay for you to cage your neighbor or a gun they own that you're scared of, then how is it okay for you to cage a neighbor for uh, a drug they do? Or how is it okay to cage your neighbor because they they don't they went to church in Canada during the lockdown or whatever. It's like it's a simple holistic thing, but nobody's out there uh, in their cultural circles really uh, showing how it all connects together. You know
1: Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Run your mouth coffee. Run your mouth coffee is where delicious coffee meets uncensored speech. If you like this show, it's because you like uncensored speech And it is tough to find sponsors for people that are putting out uncensored speech As I'm sure you're aware The co-founders are libertarians who have paired their love of fresh roasted coffee With a healthy hatred of censorship God bless these two young men Run Your Mouth Coffee was founded by two Liberty podcasters John Odermet of Lions of Liberty, which I have been on As well as Ben Panji of Homesteads and Homeschools Two great shows you should also check out The coffee beans are sourced from around the world and roasted to order in the U.S., so you receive your fresh roasted coffee at its peak flavor. If you're feeling rebellious, which you probably are, check out the Rebellion Beans. They are aged for 30 days in a bourbon barrel, then roasted to order. Use promo code LOCKDOWN at checkout for 10% off and free shipping. That's 10% off and free shipping if you just use code LOCKDOWN. Go to RYMCOFFEE.COM, that's R-Y-M like run your mouth, R Y M coffee.com use promo code lockdown for 10% off and free shipping. DM me, let me know what you think about it. I think you will love it and make sure you uh, check out their shows over at lines of Liberty and homesteads and homeschools. Let's get back into the show. Molyneux has been derided as of late for his shift politically, but his YouTube videos, you know, 10, 12 years ago where he talked about reframing any political discussion to or, or um, you know, criminal political dis- discussion to Would you put someone in a cage for this And that's just that's how he always puts it And I, th- and I think we all use that now Because we all have, have seen how powerful a tool that is Is that Would you put that human being in a cage Because you disagree with that behavior Because that's what you're actually calling for It's not mm-hmm. just making it illegal Illegal has this, this sanitation to it That is not at all what you're actually calling for you are asking for them to have their complete liberty ripped away and them to be put in a box for God knows how long and abused, sometimes isolated. Like, I think it's a really powerful um, linguistic mechanism. Um, but I wanted to mention also is that while you were talking about Jesus and the, the cat of nine tails and how he's he's screaming out, they know not what they do, forgive them, Father. I think that's it's such a fascinating dichotomy amongst human beings that we are we are both capable of such egregious evil to the point that we could, you know, there are people that have mass murdered children and they know exactly what they're doing. I'm talking like with guns and all sorts of evil. And then simultaneously, you can have someone who, who is willing to sacrifice themselves for humanity. I mean, at least in theory. Um, but there are, many, there are many instances in, in even modern history Where you have people that do similar things. You have monks that light themselves on fire. You have people that stand in front of tanks in Tiananmen Square. You have all sorts of just heroic acts that are almost beyond belief. And in that very same day, in that same instant, in that same second, you have people that are committing the most heinous evil on the very same planet. I just think that's... Like, if you don't sit back in awe at the capacity of man or human. <laughs> um, it's just amazing to me. Anyways, I don't even know where I'm going with that, Carrie, but what do you think?
2: <laughs> well, I actually wanted to touch on something David was talking about, which I loved, which I've asked this question myself. is like, what happened to Hillary Clinton? You know, like, how did she get there? And I think it's, and then you were also talking about drug use. So I'm going to try to weave these two things together as best I can, but these things aren't modeled for us. And let me get into what I mean by that. So we don't go to public school And have teachers help us regulate our behavior right so if a kid is acting out and he's throwing a tantrum and he's crying and he's screaming and he's sitting he's hitting things there's something wrong with him right it's not hey buddy what are you feeling inside what's going on it's you're bad you're going to go sit in the corner you're going to be disciplined you're deemed bad you're not taught how to process and regulate your feelings you're taught that those aren't allowed at all and that you need to fall in line and then you're surprised. And I'm not saying public school is the only reason for this. This is just an example that came to mind. But when you look at drug use, okay, yeah, you can throw someone in a cage. Obviously, that doesn't change. That doesn't resolve drug addiction. Because at the root of it, in my opinion, from my spiritual journey, and the things that I've studied and read about addiction is really addiction to anything, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whatever it is, I know that you're not going to get thrown in a cage for sex addiction. But like that's not Whatever it is, whatever you're trying to, whatever you're using, it's a means of escape. You're trying to escape your discomfort, to escape your suffering. And that's incredibly human. I'm not saying there's something inherently wrong with that, but I think because of the lack of emotional intelligence and consciousness in the world, really, not just in America, around the world, there's such a stronger drive to disconnect and to escape. And I want to bring it back full circle because I actually listened to a talk once. I can't. Remember. I want to say it was John Cabot Zinn, but it could have been another teacher, a meditation teacher whose name escapes me. But he was talking about trauma, and I was like, "Oh, cool! A talk for me. I'm gonna learn all about my childhood." But it was actually about people who joined the military, and what he was saying he had learned over the years of working with a lot of traumatized veterans was their their problems did not start when they joined the military. They actually joined the military in response to feelings and beliefs that were ingrained in them. So if you grew up, let me rephrase this. So there are probably a lot of people in the military who grew up feeling powerless, who grew up feeling like they didn't have a voice, like they couldn't make a change, like they were helpless. And so what's a great status solution to that? I'm gonna go get power, I'm gonna carry a gun, I'm gonna dominate people. The same thing goes for being a cop or any position of power really. And that's not to say that the feelings that caused it are bad, the reaction, the attempt to cope with it is obviously harmful and detrimental, and should not be what's considered a solution. But I think one of the biggest issues is in these conversations. In this paradigm, we don't talk about the feelings that are going on that then lead people to engage in these kinds of harmful, harmful behaviors, whether toward themselves or toward other people. Obviously, more so with the state on the latter one.
1: I think that's a great point. I mean, it, it boils down to kind of a cultural framework where you. You actually have, because as you said, it's not just public schools I mean, you have parents that have very punitive treatment towards their children That do not ask them about how they're feeling That it's like, you're going to go sit in the corner It's the same thing that the school teacher does So that throughout their entire childhood, that's all they get They don't ever get any, any coping mechanism for the emotional turmoil of life um, What do you think, David? Do you have, is, is it the, the religious underpinning that you would fall back on there? Or is there more that we can do?
3: What do you mean, religious underpinning?
1: Well, because oftentimes it seems as if like you can have um, like just a religious a religious response to that as a problem. Uh, like you would have the a moral a moral code that comes from like biblical scripture or something like that. Is it for those? I, I guess I'm trying to apply it to a non-religious society, which is kind of what we, where we're at. We're like fifty-fifty. How would you how would you apply it both? with or without religion
3: but see that's that's the paradox is that you know to me you know when you imitate jesus that's how you get out of religious thinking it's kind of weird you know what i mean like i think we're really religious i think our society is extremely religious just because i like durkheim has a definition of the sacred is this it's like it's what what binds us together right it's 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 not about whether you believe in a deity or a fairy or something like that it's It's about a mechanism that binds people together with a shared set of sacred uh, rituals and taboos, and and you're bound together by who you're excluding. And Mm -hmm. so I would say everything in our society is extremely religious, and the more we think we're not religious, the more religious we become, right? Because we're not even aware of, of what we're doing.
1: Well, I'll agree with you that we are very religious, but I'm not sure that we're very well bound together. You think we are still?
3: Well, that's because of Jesus. See, Jesus destroyed the, religious, the religion's ability to bind us together. So Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword to cut through the unity that the world had been bound up in based on mutual exclusion. We can't agree on who to scapegoat anymore because of his narrative. So his narrative was like a media technology. And I know this sounds strange. You're like, what the heck? This is not what I thought I heard on Sunday school. But basically, he created a, he, he created a narrative that's, that's kind of like a counter-narrative to mythology. Mythology is everything, you the vestiges of mythology you see in the nightly news and everywhere where it's all about it's okay that this 13-year-old guy died of, a, of the second Pfizer shot because it's a sacrifice for the greater good. That's a sacrificial narrative, right? It's a myth. Myth conceals violence. Myth conceals sacrifice. Jesus has de- has deconstructed myth such that it doesn't look like it used to look anymore. Where it's like Odin says, "You shall sacrifice your fourteen year old." Fourteen year old. Now it looks like well, we the science shows this is the best way to deal. It, you see what I mean? It's it's a deconstructed uh, religious thinking that is kind of brought down to earth with ideological language, but it's still functioning psychologically and socially like a religion. It's exactly the same thing. But the difference, the reason why it's breaking down is because Jesus disrupted the ability of the scapegoat mechanism to maintain its unity. Because once you start to think that perhaps those you're persecuting, those you are persecuting may be innocent, it ruins the effect of the scapegoat mechanism. Once you start to think, maybe I am blaming them. See, the word scapegoat, we ought, When I say the word scapegoat, you automatically mean an un, You automatically think an unfair, an unfairly accused person. It wasn't. That's not what it meant to the people when the scapegoat ritual was done in the Leviticus times. They thought of it as this is the bearer of sin. This is the way we have to maintain our problems. This person's guilty. You see what I mean? Same way with sacrifice. We. When I say the word sacrifice, what do you think? self-sacrifice, right? You, like you said earlier, I will sacrifice my life for this for this movement. Mm-hmm. But the original connotation of the word sacrifice in the ancient world meant sacrifice of something like a crop or a, your firstborn or somebody else's, a peasant slave. It was a sacrifice of some other. But now it means self-sacrifice because Jesus changed that that language hmm. so that we think of self-sacrifice, self-giving, rather than sacrifice our neighbor. And so religious thinking is all about maintaining narratives that justify uh, sacrificial exclusion of somebody to maintain their cohesion. But Jesus broke that because he said the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, meaning in the act of being excluded, you become powerful. You become the martyr's perch or whatever. And that's why we're in the chaos we're in because we can't agree on who the villain is and we can't agree on who the victim is.
1: So does and that re- it's
3: going to continually to, to it's going to continue to unravel until we practice nonviolence completely.
1: Interesting. So beyond beyond nonviolence given that the state doesn't appear ready to take that path with us is it going to require sacrifice again? What do you think?
3: The state? I, I don't know. Us, the state <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we're trying to, but it's not binding us together. That's what I'm saying. So we, it's like a, it's like a heroin needle that doesn't give the high anymore. We keep hitting it and it's not doing the high because it doesn't, we can't cause sacrifice created unanimity. There wasn't any minority report in the ancient world. There wasn't, there wasn't Liberty lockdown challenging the lockdowns. It was just, this is the way it has to be. We have to, sacrifice these people, or the peasants have to be here, the slaves had to be here. Everybody has to be in their place. There was no minority, well, here's the dissenting opinion. That's a birthplace. That came from Christianity. The idea of having alternative media, the idea of having truth-teller media that that gives a dissenting voice for the, for the scapegoat, that's – we inherit – I'm not saying – I, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying there aren't uh, sacri- uh, challenges to sacrificial violence in other religions. I'm saying in our Western context, our inheritance from our framework, where we're at, the reason why we're so suspicious of institutions of of state power and all these things is because we're so thoroughly Christianized. We don't understand it because Christianity is not about believing in uh, dogmas. It's about imitating the way Jesus thinks of the, his world. And then apply, you imitate and you live Jesus's actions in your life. And when you do that, you will deconstruct all religion, including Christianity as well, including you know it, it breaks through all of this.
1: Well, it sounds like I'm I'm behaving in a pretty Christian fashion, despite not being one. So that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Carrie? How do how do we go about like actually helping that that kid deal with this emotional stuff? Would you would you envision some sort of program where people are taught this type of stuff, or what's your what's your vision for fixing this other than to fix ourselves individually?
2: Right. So there's actually a wonderful program. I cannot remember it because I wrote about it five, six years ago, but there's a, it's a nonprofit organization. They do work with public schools. So we're still obviously working within the status paradigm, but I think they're in, I want to say Baltimore or Philadelphia, and they come in and they work with students who are problematic, like the ones who are getting detention, the ones who are getting suspended, the ones who aren't doing great in school. And they actually teach them meditation skills. They do community outreach. They go and They clean up gardens or they clean up, they pick up trash. uh, They do yoga. So they're getting this fantastic influence of really what it comes down to meditation. There are a million definitions of it. There's a million different kinds, but it brings you back to presence and it gives you a moment to pause instead Mm -hmm. of just reacting. So they're teaching students who are clearly dealing with some issues If they're acting out in the ways they're acting out. There's a reason for it. It's not just because they're bad kids. It's because it's a cry for help. So these guys, they're awesome. They they're from that community. They go in and they teach kids how to better feel their feelings, and the results they had were amazing. And of course, we're dealing with it more than the confines of public schooling, right? So it's all judged by how they then behave in school. But less aggression, better performance. So there's something to teaching children from a young age how to care for themselves. Really, that's what it comes down to for me. And I know you said not to talk about like changing ourselves, but I cannot stress enough how important this is because if you like if you just check in on your day-to-day life, how often are you fully present with yourself? How often are you doing only what you're doing? You're aware of what's going on inside your body. It's not often because we're constantly pulled to something outside ourselves. And I think that that is so much a source of suffering. It doesn't, we all have trauma from childhood. It's not always just about the state. We all have our wounds. We have we have how we're conditioned from a young age, like David was talking about. It's our parents, it's schools, it's society, it's culture. We have all of these external guidelines of how we're supposed to be that, and we're never taught how to check in with ourselves. I didn't even realize that I could feel into my body until I started doing yoga like seven, eight years ago. And I had the sense of like, whoa, there's energy in my heart, what? Like, and it's still so easy to forget. I've been doing this practice of embodiment where I check in with my body, I feel my feelings. I've been doing this for years now. And there's still, throughout the day, there's countless times where I'm like, oh, whoa, Carrie, your chest is really tightened up. And I'll realize it's been this way for an hour and I hadn't checked in with it. And when we're in that place of reactivity, when we're caught, when we're not aligned with ourselves, when we're not connected to ourselves, that's when we behave in violent ways, in aggressive ways. I'm not saying if you're connected to yourself, you're never going to be angry, but you're probably going to have a little bit more space to feel the feelings instead of just leaving an angry comment to the next person you see on Instagram, you know, sure. like, which I've done a million times where I'm having my own day and somebody leaves me a comment, and where I would otherwise look at it and just walk away. I'll type back something just, it's funny. Sure. Does, do people like it? Yes. Do I feel good about it? No, it's It's me. And I don't, you know, I don't want to put that out there. I can't always be conscious of it, but it really does come down to knowing yourself better and caring for yourself. And this I'm sure sounds so woo woo and hippie to libertarians, but I'm telling you it's completely compatible with the philosophy of freedom because you have, nobody's going to do it for you. The drugs aren't going to do it for you. The whatever you're addicted to, that's not actually solving the suffering you're trying to escape. And as long as you're caught in the loop of escaping suffering, instead of being with yourself and actually having compassion for it, it's like, oh, this is really hard right now. I'm, I'm suffering right now and it sucks. Oh, I'd like, Putting your hand on your heart is a simple act of care. It sounds stupid, but it's a way to let yourself know, like, hey, you're not alone. I see what's happening. This is really difficult. I love you. And this has completely changed my life because so often the narratives we receive, not that it's not necessarily what we're taught, although some of us have definitely grown up in situations where we're explicitly taught you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're, you know, I don't love you. Literally, it's children go through so much. There's so much suffering this is an opportunity to step in and give yourself what you weren't given your whole life. So to me, it's incredibly empowering and incredibly compatible with all of our values. It's personal responsibility on an internal level.
1: Oh, I, I, go ahead, David.
3: I was just, another factor is the food we eat too, you know, because they have this study showing these, uh, Omega six, uh, uh, oils that people eat. Government subsidized it. Government subsidized the, Science that got it wrong and told us all to eat uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids. These vegetable oils that are replacing all the ancestral fats that we used to eat, and and we're seeing. I mean, I can show you study after study. I have all the scientists on my show talk about this. We we go and we go find the scientists in the university and just bring them on. A lot of these guys don't even do media appearances and have them talk about the data. And it's it's linked, you know, with inmates when they're eating a lot of seed oils and this omega six overconsumption it causes aggression. When you reduce it, their aggression stops or wow. drops a lot. Um, uh, my friend, Dr. Chris Palmer, Harvard psychiatrist, MD over there, he's doing dealing with patients with depression, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. He gets them on a therapeutic ketosis, uh, and they're able to heal from these things. People are saying, F- uh, doctor, I don't hear the voices anymore, uh, wow. with a dietary change. Now when they go back and eat the carbs and the processed oils, uh, the voices come back. So it's not a total cure because a cure is you take something and it's gone. It's, but, it's, but it's better than a cure because it shows us that so many of the problems that we have are metabolic, like you were talking about, Carrie, energy, right? And the, the, we're just now getting into uh, starting to understand how energy and how important mitochondria are for our health, uh, the, the little energy batteries in our cells. And, 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 and again, I'm tying it back to the state because it's not hard to. The government is what convinced generations of people to ditch ancestral foods and to try this giant global experiment to eat processed sugar, processed flour, and uh, uh, processed vegetable oils. The vegetable oils, in my opinion, are the biggest problem with the data suggesting they're causing the heart disease, cancer, uh, mood problems, depression, all these different things. And, and, and we're being, we're just being misinformed with a bunch of quackery. And so because we have this religious devotion to trust authority figures in a white coat, uh, this is the official uh, public health policy, eat vegetable oils. I mean, look at the American Heart Association. They still recommend seed oils. They recommend five tablespoons of seed oils for one black bean burger recipe I saw the other day. That's like 96 ears of corn if you were to eat that. And it's natural, you know, the amount of oil in each ear of corn. You have to eat 96 ears of corn. and And that has terrible effects on the heart. So we're 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 so in the dark ages, and the reason why we're in the dark ages is because we hold to sacrificial violence. We we have a trust and a faith in sacrifice. That's what's ultimately the heart, at the heart of the state. We have a trust, a deep and abiding trust that human beings can do sacrificial violence and they can solve problems, but they can't. It does, it just holds us back. And 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 so yeah, I mean I I agree with what Kerry's saying, and I'm saying that dietary changes even with children because kids get fed so many awful things they're treated like worse than like pets they're fed pet food and worse you know these vegetable oil chicken nuggets the sludge what it does to the heart what it does to the long-term bioaccumulation of these oils and then they have to regulate their emotions they don't they're not even properly they don't so they have there's two things they're not getting their proper nutrition and they're not and then they're getting deleterious of things added into it like the seed oils and so forth that are causing mood swings and all kinds of problems.
1: Well, and then third, they're not getting any guidance on how to deal with their internal state. I think that that was the biggest thing that I I've discovered. I had a severe panic attack when I turned about 25 years old and through self-diagnosis and just a desire to live, I figured out what was wrong. And what was wrong is that I was an automaton I had no capacity for reflection, to step out of myself, to look at how I'm actually operating. I lacked it entirely. It was incredible. And I'm, you know, I was a pretty bright kid. I was very successful. I was doing good things, but it was like, I was not actually present at all. That just think about how crazy that is. Like I was kicking ass at life. Wasn't there. Like Clint wasn't there. Um, it's just amazing to me. And, and what I discovered was by, by getting a meditation practice, and I want to ask David about this too, because I want to see if it ties into prayer at all in the, in the religious sense, um, is that I, because of my mindfulness work, I was able to suddenly be able to reflect on my emotions as they were incoming and to identify the fact that these are, you know, these are things that I can choose to respond to. And I had never had that before. I was purely a reactive being. I was just like, something upsets me. I'm upset. You know, like that, that was it. Um, and now I have, I have an ability. And it's, it's just fascinating because I've done it for, you know, 10 years now. Same as Carrie, give or take. And, and I was just like, okay, now, like when I, I used to have trouble with insomnia, I was afraid. I was very afraid of death for all through my childhood. Um, but I was, never, I was never actually reflecting on the, the reason for any of that. I was never re- reflecting on the, uh, the emotion behind any of it or even being able to t- detach myself from the emotion from it. And so anyways, yeah, I've never really talked about this on the show very much, but I, I wanted to have you guys on to bring this up because I think that it's such an incredibly powerful tool and I, and I see much the same power that I've found and Carrie seems to have found in mindfulness meditation or yoga or any of this new age stuff. It's not really new age, but, you know, people think of it as that way, um, as I see in some of the more devout Christian people that I encounter or Muslims, for that matter. Um, David, what do you think about that? Is there is there a correlation there? Have you had any? Um...
3: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I definitely think those are all disciplines that are, you know, compatible with what we're talking about. You know, the idea of uh, what about hypnosis? Have you done that?
1: I actually tried. I couldn't be hypnotized, but this was before I found mindfulness. So maybe I can now. I don't know.
3: So what cured you or not cured? what, what helped you with your uh, death anxiety or the fear of death? Um,
1: I think just really accepting the fact that like I've had such a great life. I, I think when I was younger, I was just like, I have so much to get done before I get out of here, and I would be so upset if I were to have that stolen from me. So that that really helped. And then then a sense of the eternal. Actually, I did mushrooms when I was in college. Um, and I had for the first time ever, I had a sense of unity with the entire planet, you know, in the entire universe. I was just like, and and it wasn't, it wasn't a sense of it. It was certainty. I was like, I am, I looked at it. I'll never forget. I looked at an outlet. I know this is such a hippie stoner conversation, but it's the truth. So I'm gonna tell you, uh, I looked at an outlet at my apartment and I was like, electricity comes out of there. I am the same as that electricity. And I, and I knew it in my being I was like, I am the same as electricity And, and I turned to my girlfriend and I said And she's like, you're fucking crazy uh, But <laughs> I, I, it was just a, It was a sense of unity with everything That I'd never had before So it when when you have that experience As drug-induced as it was at that moment And now, now I can have it more with yoga And meditation and more holistic methodology um, But when you have that feeling Even once in your life It's very hard to turn back You know, And if you've never had it then it's like, well, yeah, dying is horrifying. Um, But as soon as you have it, it's not so much. So that was my path.
3: Yeah, I think I think that that, you know, that's for Christians, the resurrection is it not just as a um, supernatural, like, oh, you know, something that you just have to believe, but something that was supposed to be an eyewitness report in history is meant to kind of help with that death anxiety, because I think you've touched on something. Death anxiety is what drives so much of the problems that we're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you feel like uh, death is it, uh, if, the, if that, that's, you know, you've got this, you're on this conveyor belt, and at some point, bam, that's it, and that's all she wrote, that's it for you, that there's no meaning to it, there's no nothing, it's just over, uh, that creates the scarcity of life, right? That drives people to do really ridiculous stuff, like make billions of dollars for a select few corporations to go to war endlessly or to do, you know, medications that are not necessarily the most effective approach to disease. But, you know, that death anxiety drives people. I got to get mine. I got to get mine. This is all there is. This is all there is, you know, and 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 that and, uh, you know, I have. I believe that the resurrection is supposed to give us uh, a down payment on the future that we all may be able to partake in, in which uh, death is not something to fear. Death is to be defeated, mm-hmm. and not just defeated like, by being mm-hmm. resurrected, but also to, to implement its defeat in history. That's where Christianity is unique in the sense that we say that it is our job to actually eliminate death in history. We should war towards that. And I know that sounds strange, maybe, but that's, you know, folks are trying to do that right now, you know, anti-aging and things that we should not be content with death and say, oh, it's just the cycle of life. We should say, no, this is not natural. This is not right. We, We know with love that humans are not meant to be ended like this, that we have something beyond this and that we should not be content with just saying, yeah, let's just let people wither away. No, we should be against it. You know, we should be against it. You know, we were made for something eternal. And I, and I think that that, you know, it, it's like if people knew, you know, there's more science coming out about near-death experiences, right? And if people knew that um, uh, if, when you die, it's, it's going to be a better place. Uh, and you knew that with as much certainty as you know, when you go to sleep, you're going to wake up in the morning. You don't really think about that until you have health problems or something like that or a scary situation. But you go to sleep, you don't go, I don't know. I don't know if I should let myself fall asleep because I don't know if I want to make it. No, you just go to sleep, right? Now, kids wrestle with that. Some kids, they don't want to go to sleep because they don't want to lose control of their, you know, uh, you know cognitive you know, state. They want to be in control. I don't want to miss out on anything. I don't want to go to sleep. But when they let go of that fear of falling asleep, they wake up and there it is another day. And if we had that in our species about death, I think we could solve a lot of the problems of the state. all the other problems that come with it you know
1: i think that's definitely possible yeah when my first panic attack actually or not my first i think it was second or third um i had i hyperventilated to the point that i thought i was going to pass out and i thought i was going to die because this was this was always my my panic attacks were always uh about me dying and usually a heart attack that was you always have something that is your focal point for me it was a heart attack um and i remember right as i thought i was going to die and i was certain i was like okay i am dying i got this calm about me that was really really powerful and and i have never left that feel i've never lost that feeling either it, i i have a a level of confidence now that it'll be a similar experience and it's funny cuz i never feared dying i'm not actually afraid to die the pain is temporary i'm going to be gone um, but the just the, the the losing out on all of the opportunities of the remainder of my life is like the FOMO for the kids out there. <laughs> Having severe FOMO. What about you, Carrie? Has has the... Did you, did you at one point have a fear of death and have you lost that through your practice or does it persist?
2: Yeah. Um, it's funny. It's never been my biggest fear. I've had other fears of like physical suffering. It's never been death. I did almost die once in a car accident. Mm. Like really, really, like, I should have died. Like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, wow. it, like, a, like, I hit a semi on the freeway, you know, across it with no divider. Um, and I was unconscious for a bit. And I definitely did have that sense of, whoa, I like when I came back, it was because I was unconscious. I like, I woke up on the side of the road with like a line of traffic going up the, the highway, you know, and like blood dripping down my face, and people had already stopped. <laughs> whoa, wow. where was I? I don't know. I don't remember most of the incident. But I know that when I came back, when I was fully conscious again, there was this deep sense of gratitude and connection. But for me, that only lasted like a week. And then I was back on my old shit, you know? Like, oh, here comes the, my neuroses, here comes all the suffering, you know? like, And I was like, oh my God, how do I get back to that sense of gratitude and connectedness? And it wasn't until I, I started making a distinction when I started doing yoga, when I started mindfulness meditation, when I started getting into all these healing practices, I started to realize, wait a minute, I'm not my mind. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not even my body. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. And you mentioned, like you said, like, oh, now I'm angry. Now I'm this, now I'm that. And I think just is not just you, just linguistically as humans, we have this tendency to identify how we're feeling as who we are. Like I am depressed. I am sad. I am miserable as opposed to a part of me feels really depressed right now. Right, and the more we attach to our sorry, my little dog is coming up for pets. <laughs> the more we attach to this to the the cognitive experience, the physical experience, the more we view ourselves as that, I think the more fear we we have about death because it's like well, once that's gone, we're gone, but speaking of near death experiences where you actually have the experience of moving towards something like to toward a light to a I've read a lot about ndes recently, and there's the the one common theme seems to be a sense of happiness. You're not suffering. You're loved. There's compassion. Like, And I think that when you become aware of the fact that your consciousness is not inextricably linked to your human form, there's a lot of freedom from death when you have that realization. And that's been a, a big thing for me. Not that I was super terrified of death before, but it definitely has removed some of the anxiety I think I felt about well, but what about when it's over, you know, like I felt, I mean, we're getting into hippie territory here, but I've, I've gotten into very deep meditations where I can feel my energy leave my body. And I, you know, I'm I'm not saying it happens all the time. I'm not leaving my physical form on the daily, you know, but when you have those experiences, there does come paradoxically like a sense of, of grounding and having a foundation when you do reenter the physical body again. And it's, it's cool to be there, but it also is a sense of, there's more than just the physical form and to me that's been really really it's taken a huge weight
1: off yeah i think it's interesting because it, it, uh by leaving your body you actually get a sense of contentment while you're back in it you're like
4: yeah.
1: you're like well now i realize that this is something totally different than what i thought it was um right and i'm able to appreciate it more but yeah. also let it go if i have to it's it's a right. very it's it is i, paradoxical.
2: I have had a Experiences where I'm like, no, I don't want to go back. <laughs> like right. I'm so free right now. I'm just floating around in the ether, in the universe. I don't, don't bring me back to the to the prison but, of my body. But, but as soon as you. <laughs> Yeah.
1: As soon as you have that thought though, you're back, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but even then, even when that's been my feeling of like, no, I don't want to do it. Once I'm back in my body, there's still, it's almost a sense of like a, like a reset. Not that I, I changed it all, but just, it's almost like a refresh of like, Oh, okay, cool. I feel comfortable again. Like I, yes. I'm aligned with myself. Yeah.
3: yeah totally. and there's been a lot of scientific documentation of these near death experiences and cataloged and so forth. And one of the ones is they see like one, one lady, she said that uh, her husband was very like abusive before his near death experience. And then afterwards, he's like totally nice and loving and wonderful. And he's happy with life because he saw something that changed his life. And he said, she said, but she's unhappy now with him because he's so loving you spend his time like uh, fixing someone's tire instead of getting back home and he doesn't have any desire to buy things anymore so she doesn't he doesn't want to buy anything new he doesn't <laughs> have his material like get new couches and he doesn't really want to be like uh pursuing money as much anymore he's just he's just like spending hours fixing people's stuff and he's just so <laughs> blissfully uh, loving and stuff she's like i'm madder now at him than he was before <laughs> when he was born, so.
1: it's funny because i i actually had um This is a very bizarre issue that very few people encounter, but when I was in my early 30s and I finally made it financially, I I was a huge Joe Rogan listener and he constantly talked about ayahuasca. And I was like, I am going to do this. It's gonna be amazing. And then I heard Aubrey Marcus on his podcast and and he had talked about his experience on it. And he said that he came back and he was like, I just wanted to give all my money away. And I was like, I'm never doing ayahuasca. (laughs) because and it's not it's not out of greed it's just out of the freedom that it provides me like I love the fact that I get to wake up and pursue my passion every day and if I didn't have the resources to do that I couldn't really do it so it's it's a but at the same time like I feel like if I were to have gone on that journey and and my spirit guide told me to do that it probably would have guided me in the in the sense of like well, you don't need all of this. You could survive with a third of it. So you can give away two thirds, and then you can still pursue your passion. I don't know. I'm giving I'm giving my spirit guide too much credit. Um, but David, do you think that uh, that prayer get, serves a similar pr- purpose for Christians, or is it just the resurrection that that kind of helps with the same tools that meditation provides?
3: Yeah, I think prayer is very helpful, and I I think you know Jesus says when you pray, pray as if it's already happened to you. You know, which is an interesting thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. just Pray, you know, you don't ask. Would you please? Can you please? Pretty please? Heal me and make me rich and stuff. But you just say thank you for the blessings. Thank you for healing my heart. Thank mm. you for you know. And, and you giving. And and so is prayer. Is prayer something that it 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 goes up to God and He says yes or no, or is prayer for you, right? And that's the thing that I think it, it ties back to what you're talking about with mindfulness. Is this idea yeah. of like it, it, I don't mm. think you it would be accurate to say that the Christian. Perspective on prayer is that uh, God needs you to say it a certain way, or or, or to, for Him to 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 grant it, like a, a Christmas wish list. It's more like He's designed this uh, uh, situation that you can have uh, uh, this uh, in t- being in touch with Him. Uh, it's more for your benefit, right? It's more for you to benefit by centering your mind on the. On things that uh, are, are are kind of outside of you, right, and and be, and having a, a spirit of gratitude. See, that goes back to, uh, you know, what you know, mimetic theory talks about with mimesis driving so much of what we do, which is ultimately envy. Uh, this idea that we we desire what other people desire, ultimately, it's it's a root of envy. We we feel like we lack something in our being, and so so much of the time we are trying to. Uh, model other people's desires. But what we really want to do is to be one with that person. It, it, it's, it's almost like magnetism, right? I'm positive, but whatever's not me is negative, And I'm attracted to that opposite pole. You know, it's like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm drawn to that, you know? So I'm rich, but I don't feel free like that young guy over there. I want to have that young spirit, what I can, you know, so you covet their being. Uh, Or, you you know, they have a car you want. So you covet that car as a symbol of actually what you really want is you want to be something that they have. And it may be that I want this from this person. I want that from that person. And I want that. But we're still feel like our being is not enough,
4: Mm -hmm.
3: you know, and what we're really hungering for is, is, is transcendence, in my opinion, we're hungering to be beyond just what we feel is, uh, you know, not the whole story. Right. So we covet that we want to feel one with, like you said, the universe or this transcendence, but we end up, uh, you know, directing that transcendent feeling and that longing into things that cannot provide that satisfaction. And that's where envy and covetousness comes from. Right. If I could only have that, then I'll be okay. And it's not like there's nothing of value in anything. Like you just said, you said you've got to a financial state where it allows you to do the things that you love. Mm-hmm. So for those who say, I want to get to a financial state where I can do the things that you love, you would say, hell yeah, do it. It's good. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's not all an illusion, but at some point when you cling too tightly to these things, it becomes an idol. It becomes something that, that owns you rather than you owning it. Right.
1: Totally true. Yeah. And and what I've noticed over the past, I mean, really off and on for the past decade of my life is that I have been in and out of like what I would describe as a flow state where I am no longer seeking any sort of like actual demarcated goals as much as I am just pursuing with every fiber of my being what I'm passionate about and what that has provided me is unimaginable success like just things that I that I never even dreamt of like I was on Tim Tim Pool last week like it's just Fucking mind blowing! I can't even believe it. I, I don't even know how it happened. I started my podcast a year ago, and then I'm talking to over a million people. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I I listened to Dave Dave Smith for seven years or something crazy, like religiously. Loved the guy, worshipped him almost. And then seven months into my show, I'm on his show. It just like all of these things make no sense to me, and and they are so, they are so much beyond me, in a way that like. It almost makes me feel as if I'm um, like practicing magic or something. Like, like, like I, am, I am truly in a state of complete just awe. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away at all of the unbelievable blessings of my life. And, and the more, the less I pursue them, like I'm, I don't know how to like put this into words. I am not pursuing them overtly. I am just driving towards what I feel is right. Like if that makes any sense at all. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what you're describing, oh, there's so much I want to say. I've been taking mental notes of like this back and forth and now I'm going to forget what I have to say. But Sorry. As far as, no, 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 it's great. But what you're saying, um, that makes perfect sense because something I hear a lot, I listen to a woman named Tara Brock. She's a former therapist. Now she's a mindfulness meditation teacher and she's not an anarchist. So that's your trigger warning. She does say things that are going to be like, oh, how good you Tara? Uh, <laughs> but I love her nonetheless. Um, and something she talks about a lot is tensing against life and it sounds like you found a way to not do that you know like you let go of of grasping for a certain outcome and you're just living in the moment as best you can um so that came to mind I just wanted to, to name that but I think also what you were saying David about envy um I think so much of suffering originates little news uh so much suffering originates from the sense of we aren't okay, like life is not okay as it is in this moment, like we're looking for a moment, the next moment, the next thing that contains what this moment does not. And so much of suffering stems from there. A great thing she said too is suffering equals pain times resistance. It's not just the pain, it's our refusal to be with the pain. Like, no, I can't do this. I can't be with this. And so for me, what meditation has done to bring it back to the original question is It's one, bringing awareness to that, to the things I don't want to feel, to the things that I'd rather push away and pretend aren't there. And then of course they just unconsciously control me, you know, because I'm not acknowledging them. And then they're taking up a lot of space in my, my, uh, sense of agency. But for me, meditation has come down to remembering and connecting to the fact that it's not just me, whether it's something as basic as mindfulness meditation, where it's like, okay, what, what am I hearing? You know, what, I'm hearing birds chirping, birds chirping outside. You know, what am I feeling? What am I smelling? It's just bringing it into present moment awareness in this realm. But for me, in my deeper meditations, it's finding a sense of connection to whatever you want to call it, whether that's God or the universe or the cosmos or love, compassion, whatever it is. If you're interested in that, I highly recommend Ram Dass. He has meditations. He's passed away now, but he has meditations both on SoundCloud and a free app called Insight Timer. And he makes the connection to God quite often, the sense of like, I'm connected to everything. Like you said, with the electrical outlet, that's very Ram you know, like I am the outlet. I am the energy. The energy is me. Um, and and can, it goes both ways. We are everything. Can,
1: can I interject real quick? Yeah. The, the 10 years ago that I started on this, this flow state, I read be here now. Yeah. By Ramdas. I yeah. shit you not. Like that—that that was what started me on this path. That and the Four Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris; those two books paired together completely changed the trajectory of my life. I quit working for my family. I started my <laughs> own business, and now I'm like a podcaster. I mean, it's all Ooh. bizarre, and, and I'm not like—I'm not even trying to go woo with it. I'm just saying the c- the correlation is like those two books enter my my life, and then boom, my entire life is different from there on out. Anyways, Carrie, I cut you off. Please continue.
2: Oh, no, that was pretty much all I was going to say. But I really, really, really want to encourage everybody to check out Ram Dass. Uh, yes. It has Clint's endorsement. Uh, it does. It's, it's, but it, I love it because he doesn't make it elitist. He doesn't make it fancy or overly sophisticated. Like there's one great meditation on Insight Timer. And he even says, he's like, you know, if you're having a hard time focusing, don't get upset. And if you get upset, just notice it. It's just this radical acceptance of what is, as opposed to constantly striving to get away from reality.
3: Mm-hmm. Is that the same as transcendental meditation, or is that different?
2: I'm not sure. I feel like I've I've looked into transcendental, but it's like this. It's like a packaged program, right? Like you're, you like take. I've never done it, but yeah. I've, I've I, I have it's, kind of, it's different. Okay, yeah. Somebody look into it and let me know.
3: <laughs> do, do you is is this uh, meditation uh, way of doing life? Is that do you think it's compatible with, and maybe you're not interested in the, like Napoleon Hill, the stuff about the cosmic habit force? Are you guys familiar with that? I'm not
2: familiar.
3: So Napoleon Hill was this guy that interviewed all the the world's most successful folks at the time, uh, John D. Rockefeller and um, uh, Carnegie and, and Edison and everybody. And he was like trying to figure out what are the habits of these successful people. And it was all about this. He came up with this, explanation called cosmic habit force where he was saying that basically uh, it, it kind of became what, you know, what the, the Oprah people do with like the secret and all that. That's where I, like it comes from that, but it's not really what that is. Uh, and it's this idea of like the power of positive thinking and, and like keeping your mind focused on, on, on things that you want to do and then creating uh, habits and circles around you that are reinforcing that reality that you want to manifest Now, a lot of people take that in weird ways and they just, I want to make a million dollars and they wake up every day and say, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. (laughs) And it gets weird and I know, and I'm not not with that, but I'm wondering, you know, some people in the, um, in the uh, meditation world would say like, well, that's the opposite. That's willpower stuff where you're trying to like will yourself into things. And this is the opposite where it's about letting go of the will and the ego. Is that, would you say there's a tension with those types of, approaches or is there a way to make them work together go for
2: it um it's it's the one distinction i'm hearing is i for me and i this is not true of a lot of spiritual community but the spiritual path i've gone down is not so much the power of positivity because there's and i'm from la so and i i was very much in the yoga community here and something that was very off-putting really was this it's called spiritual bypass ultimately where like people hide behind their spirituality to avoid dealing with their real issues it's like oh well but i have sage and i have all my crystals i've got my crystals behind me you know like i i have you know my my pendulum that answers questions for me i also have a pendulum i don't use it for that anymore but i did when it was first gifted to me you know and i just found for me that like it was just a continuation of the grasping and the avoidance and i'm not saying that's what this is because i'm not familiar with it enough to know But I think perhaps in my experience with the mindfulness meditation, that can often be the end result. Because once you become connected with yourself and once you stop grasping for things outside yourself, paradoxically, then it becomes easier to attain them. Not if you set in your head, like, oh, I'm gonna do this mindful meditation so I can make a million dollars and manifest things. You know, I gave up on manifesting stuff. I tried so many times and it didn't work. I was like, I'm just gonna live my life and meditate and take care of myself. And then surprise, surprise, that's when things start manifesting. So it's I think it's a matter of getting out of your head and also. Um, being kind to yourself when you can't. That has been the biggest practice for me. So I think it comes down really to a compassion practice. Because for me, I've struggled for years of like getting so angry at myself when my mind was active and I couldn't focus. And then my practice became like, okay, can we notice when the mind is active? Can, and we, I mean, me, I'm talking about me with myself, my eternal partnership with my spiritual essence in my brain. But can we notice when this is coming up? Can we notice? Without judgment, and that's the key here, without judgment, without meanness to yourself, can we just let it be here? And then try again, try to come back to the breath. And maybe I finished a 30-minute meditation and I focused on my breath for 30 seconds, and maybe that's just the way it is that day. Can I be okay with that? Can I accept it? And for me, it all comes down to just acceptance with love. That's been, I think, the biggest driving force in my ability to find peace and to align with myself. I don't know if that answers your question at all, but that's been my experience with mindfulness.
1: Yeah, I think I think with uh, the the weird balance for me has been that I'm a very driven person, so I can I'm very very hard on myself. So I have, but if I if I am totally accepting of myself, which makes me a happier person, I don't maintain the same fire and drive. So like, for me, it's all about the balance between the two because I really like the aspect of myself that makes me just drive towards ridiculous goals that no one should set. Um, But then I also hate that part of myself because it makes me miserable. Um And I actually, I read, I read an article this morning about how women are attracted to to men who are uh not disgruntled, but uh dissatisfied. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that's totally my MO. Like I've absolutely had girls that are interested in me because I'm dissatisfied because I it's never good enough. Like, and that's how, that's just how I am. But at the same time, because of my meditation practice, I have, I have found ways to counterbalance that and not become destroyed by it. But it's not, it's not as if I'm healed or I'm fixed. You know, I like, I still very much have this in me where I'm like, no, 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 we're going to keep going. And I, and I've always, I've told people this before, but when I was a kid, you talk about manifesting from the time I was like six years old, I started every time I blew out my candles on my cake for my birthday until I was like 30 I said that I'll be a millionaire by the time I'm 35. That's what I said to myself when I was a child. Like that's pathology. You know <laughs> that's, that's madness to have a child have a child actually do something like that. But I did it. I did pull it off. So it's like it's it's uh I'm I'm one of those people that totally doesn't believe in The power of positive thinking when it comes to like if you just wake up and you say it every day it's going to happen if you wake up and you say it every day and you mean it as in you're going to live it yes it will happen um given enough time and a little bit of luck so i i i'm kind of in between on all of it it's like uh, it's not as if positive thinking is pointless i i also now now that i've you know studied more on the uh the quantum level where it's like there is something to the fact that we You know The observer effect and the fact that we actually Modify reality with our very Existence or or our observation of it It's like we don't understand any Of this shit like it's so far It's so much bigger and above us Like um, so just enjoy the ride I don't know (laughs) David you got any thoughts on
3: that Yeah I mean I think it all goes back to uh, The great uh, quote By uh, the philosopher Mr. Rogers Who said love is at the root Of all things love or the lack of it Right and that's really where it comes down to. If you don't feel loved and, and all of us have moments where you don't feel loved, like you don't feel like uh, you're good or something that you're not lovable or something. And, uh, and and so we spend so much time numbing out from that feeling uh, and misdirecting that uh, pain of coming to grips with maybe that's, is that true or is it not true? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for me, I've always been someone that, was worried about uh, the, you know, I was worried about what happens after, you know, I was worried about going to heaven. I had anxiety about going to heaven. Cause I would look at the alphabet and say A to Z and top of the chalkboard when I was in school. And I'd be like, wait, there's a, there's Z, but I'm going to go to this place where it's like never ending repeat. This sounds like horrible. It sounds like a, I was scared to death of that, <laughs> you know? So, but I was always worried about those things, but you know, and I was worried about death and I didn't want my parents to, die before me because I didn't want to deal with the loss of that. So when I was a little, I was like four years old, worried about that. And it, and it haunted me, but you, what you do is you, you kind of take that, you know, and then use it as uh, ammunition to do great things and uh, to do things that can bring positivity with the, I feel like Willy Wonka, there's so many things to do and such little time to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Or strike that, reverse it, whatever he says in that quote in the original movie. You know, it's like so many things that we have that we can do to do a lot of great things for the world. And it's not, it's, you know, we 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 just have to help folks feel like that the, the universals the universe stands on your side, or at least in my opinion. I know that's hard to say because you look at the universe and you see wasps injecting their larvae to the backs of spiders as they eat them up from within and you're like whoever made this universe sounds like a predatorial freak stay away from him i get that but but through it all right you know the christian story is that there's something happening that's changing this and making all things new behold i make all things new and uh and, and the bible talks about creation groaning as if it's in birth pangs it's groaning at the new creation that's being made manifest by the actions of Christ's body on earth. And I think I have a different view about who's included in Christ's body. I think it's those who imitate Christ. So, so Cliff, if you want to lay down your life for your friends, greater love hath no man than that. I mean, you, I mean, that's, that's what it means to be a part of Christ's body. And people, like, don't, people get uncomfortable with that because, again, they're thinking it from a Cartesian model. So they think oh you're selling me on a product or an agenda and it's like i'm sorry that i'm sorry you you encountered so many cartesians that call themselves christians but that's not what i'm doing here mm-hmm. you know it, it's about to be or not to be and it and, and everything about you know that's why i like Rene gerard's work because he helps bring out the anthropology of what jesus is doing so that we can understand the the embodied nature of uh of of, of the truths that he's talking about there and what made his story so unique in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about pick a team or not. Right. It's about being.
1: I love it. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's the thing that we, we lack and uh, we'll, just, we'll we'll finish this out with this. Cause we kind of started here too, is that the Liberty movement in particular, I have noticed, and I'm not, this is not broad based. I mean, there's plenty of people that are, very well developed and and well rounded, um, and I have tre- tremendous compassion for anyone that's not yes. to that point already because I was there as well. So like, please, I'm not talking down to anybody here, um, but I would just encourage people that if you are, if you think you're going to change the world, and yet you are still in, in you're miserable, that you're suffering, the odds are really really against it. Like, it's very important that before you start telling other people how you think the world should be ran, that you're actually running your life in a way that other people would want to be like you, you know? And and I, I'm not, again, I'm really not trying to make myself stand above anybody that's l- listening to this. I'm simply saying that for myself included, like if you want people to follow you into that good night against the greatest state in history, and you think they're going to do it behind someone who seems as if they're angry 24 seven and probably are, I don't think it's going to work. I think you're going to have to, you're going to have to find a way to craft your message out of love and compassion and, and a higher purpose, whether it's religious oriented or not. Um, Carrie, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I just want to add on to that because I I mentioned at the beginning, I think I know there is an aversion to feelings and emotions in our community, especially because libertarianism is so rooted in logic and rationality. I just want to come back to say that, yeah, you look at the world. I think there's a big issue with uh, hyper emotionality if you look at status, right? Like people throwing tantrums and freaking out and having meltdowns and believing like their life is literally over if their person doesn't win. Yeah, that's the kind of emotions that obviously we're not going it. Like, these are unprocessed, unregulated, unconscious emotions that are being exploited and harnessed by people in power. That's problematic. That's dangerous. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying just barf out your feelings and let other people use them to control you. It's actually the antithesis of that. It's if you become aware of your unconscious emotions, then you become less controllable. And I know there's this fear and there's this paradox of, yeah, but if I let it out, it's going to take over. And I I promise I won't. I I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, you have to experience it yourself. I can't, I can't just say it and then you know it's true. You have to just allow yourself to feel. And I know that sounds so scary and it is really scary. And I find myself running from it every single day, even though I've been doing this practice for years and years now. Feeling your feelings is not the same as being like a tantrum throwing statist. And it's, it's the, there's a duality to it, right? Like these are the two examples. There's unprocessed emotion and then there's processed emotion. And I'm telling you, if you really think you have no feelings and you can just shove them down and they don't matter and you have to run away from them, they are going to control your life far more than you'll ever even be conscious of. Than if you were to just sit with them and allow yourself to feel them and be okay with it and trust that as an independent, beautiful, individual, free human being, you have the capacity to be with it. I promise you that.
1: Love it. And, and let me give a quick side note to the, the right-wing bodybuilding community that I know listens to me. Uh, <laughs> it is not enough to just lift weights. <laughs> it's a very important thing. I'm not, I'm not discounting it at all. But if you want to be as as potent a weapon as humanly possible in this fight If you want to fancy yourself as a, a human weapon um, It's really important That you're well rounded And and that doesn't just come down to Having a physique that says That you're ready for war uh, It takes metal, mental fortitude as well So I hope that after listening to this People will, will focus on Having a well rounded uh, View of what is necessary For what they view as an inevitability um, David any final thoughts for us?
3: Yeah. Facts don't care about your feelings, but feelings care about your facts, right? There you go. Those things in balance. The the truth should feel good. And I mean, it it can cut you. Uh, It will cut you down. But I mean, ultimately, uh, when you're doing what's right, it it should be a great feeling. And and, and we shouldn't. uh, For the liberty movement, here's a, a gift for the liberty movement to think about is how do we tell stories of the victims around us? Tell their story. Make a beautiful film. The left has had a monopoly on the production of goosebumps for a long time, and they shouldn't <laughs> have had it. That's because we weren't thinking about how uh, these things are embodied. Not this is not a uh, SAT question, you know, questionnaire. This is life, and it's okay to be in touch with that empathic, uh, you know, side of us and let it loose in a healthy way. Uh, you should, you know, when when someone's kid is is suffering from uh, lockdowns. That's your kid. We're all part of the same human race. They're all part of the same story. We should fight like it's our kid. If you don't have kids or whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, uh, you know, but tell a beautiful stories because you watch the left, their Hollywood films. They've shaped you, me, all of us here. All of us have been shaped. Our, our imaginations our our stories, our parables that we learn. We learn from Hollywood. A lot of it in, in, in indie films, whatever. Uh, uh, they, they have a huge impact on us, but how many libertarian type people have made those films? Not a lot of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so whoever shows up is the one that ends up becoming the, the uh, you know, creating the, the future culture. So if you want to have a culture that's empathic, but it's also guiding those empathy uh, feelings in a direction of nonviolence like Liberty, then you've got to be the storyteller that captivates their hearts. So whether it's performance art or poetry Uh, a blog, a film, a documentary, whatever, a short three-minute video, whatever it is, just get creative. Let your heart, you know, let let that heart out. Don't be afraid to hide that because that's how you win the culture. You got to let that heart, uh, you know, free. Don't feel like that's weak or stupid to do that. That's everything. Everything is about that.
1: Yep. You utilize that autism to create an, an incredible, impossible work of art. Because I, I think I honestly believe that's that's a huge reason that libertarianism fails, and I people think I'm joking when I say it, but there is there is a spectrum issue when it comes to libertarians, and they they are so caught up in logic and reason, which is where we started this conversation, that they they kind of lack being in touch with their emotions, and sometimes it's actually like that's how they're they're built. So like I'm not even hating on them. I'm just saying that there is a reason that we fail so miserably to get our messages to people that aren't like us, to actually inspire them. Like, Just, just think about the best moments that you've ever experienced in a movie theater. And why is the first thing that came to mind not Mel Gibson screaming freedom? <laughs> you know, like, for, for most libertarians, that's the answer. I mean, because it's so rare for us that we see um, that kind of spirit embodied on the, on the, on the big screen. So go out there and create that that art of your own and uh, and help spread this legacy amongst the people that don't understand what we're talking about. Any final notes, Carrie?
2: Just be kind to yourself. Yes. And if you think that's stupid, be kind to the part of yourself that, think it's, that thinks it's stupid, you know? like Perfect. Just a little Russian doll. Just keep being kind as much as you can. And if you feel like you can't be kind, then feel compassion toward the part of self that just feels like it's not possible. You can go on forever. That's all I'm saying.
1: Either exactly. Well, Carrie... K- carrie has helped me a lot by sending me some some new yoga videos please keep that up it's helped me um david a pleasure as always you can check him out it's a, a neighbor's choice um carrie wedler on youtube is there anything else you guys would like to tell the people david
3: i'm good yeah a neighbor's choice.com is my website and uh, thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun talking to you both
1: absolutely it was such a great deep dive carrie anything else
3: uh, I just want to remind
2: people of the people I mentioned. There's Tara Brock. She has some wonderful podcasts on her website, tarabrock.com. It's T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-H. She's also on SoundCloud. Check out Ramdas, R-A-M-D-A-S-S, and just mindfulness meditation in general.
1: You guys are the best. This was uh, is exactly what I was hoping for. So thank you so much.
5: Thank you.
3: Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction.
5: Libertarians are better Democrats than the Democrats and better Republicans than the Republicans. A Republican president, a Republican-controlled Congress presided over the biggest expansion of government up to that point in history. And what's going to happen when they realize that Social Security is nothing but a racist, sexist, ageist Ponzi scheme I mean, how badly do you have to screw something up before we finally conclude that, uh, maybe government can't solve this problem? The free market is the ultimate expression of democracy. I do the show two days a week, it's a free show. You sure you don't wanna see some evidence to back up any of their claims before you get us into another war? Their entire existence is exploitative. Everything they eat, everything they drink, the roof over their heads. It was all paid for from theft at the threat of violence. Isn't it interesting that an education system run by the government somehow churns out a bunch of people who favor the government handling everything? That's the type of accounting that would get you thrown in prison if anybody else were to do it. But that's how the federal government operates. Blacks. Indian, Asian, rich, poor, short, tall, everybody benefits from freer markets. Libertarianism is principled, it's philosophically sound. In the arena of ideas, we cannot be defeated. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, the voice and soul of so called fiction. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Download and subscribe. And no matter what happens, keep on pedaling. That so-called fiction. Peace.
1: Big shout-out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all.
0: Welcome to Lock down. Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you are riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of will come and it'll go The government knows just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood, lefties lyrical fappin' A typo with Luke might bring them nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit